0: Hello everyone, welcome to episode 17. Today we are interviewing Irina from FabCycle, which is an incredible social enterprise that focuses on reusing and repurposing pre-consumer textile waste so it doesn't end up in the landfill. This episode was recorded at the FabCycle Reuse Center. So if you want to take a look at FabCycle's facilities and take a look at their stores and see us talk um, about fabrics and everything like that, then I recommend that you check out the video interview. It's linked in the show notes for you to join us there virtually and because it's on youtube you can leave a comment share your thoughts ask questions whatever it is that you'd like to do and we'll be there to support you so without further ado i'm going to quit rambling here and let's jump right into this interview Thank you so much for joining me on the Nature Spire podcast. This is the first interview on video podcasting format, so I'm really excited. So before we get started, I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about yourself and what FabCycle is, and then we'll dig into what is pre-consumer textile waste and how that can relate to circularity. Awesome, yeah, that sounds good. So thanks for having me here,
1: Chris. Uh, We're here at our uh, textile waste reuse center Uh, Right here, if you look in uh, in our uh, video, you can see all the materials. Um, So everything here is textile waste we actually collected from our local industry, from Vancouver apparel manufacturers, um, just like independent uh, people that sew, uh, film industry, schools, basically anybody that has textile waste. Um, and our mission is to capture those usable materials and make sure they don't end up in the landfills. And the reason we have so much is because there is so much. That much. Yeah, there is actually that much. So the, the whole thing with um, this industry and even like as a hobby, if you are a maker, if you sew, Or if you are a business and you make clothes, you are actually dealing with a lot of physical materials. And as such, you accumulate things over time. And so if you're a business and you're in the business of making clothes, for example, so you will buy fabric over the course of your business. Mm -hmm. And once you have leftover fabric or you have things that you're just not going to use or even have... So like a slight defect that is, doesn't exactly match your main product. Yeah. What's going to happen is you're going to be left with all these rolls or all these materials that you have to figure out what to do with. Most businesses don't, don't have the capacity to actually go and sell it because they're busy running a businesses. business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so what ends up to uh, for them to do is they do the easiest thing for them to do, which is just dispose out of it. Um, so that's when we come in and we connect to um, manufacturers in Vancouver and... We just tell them, hey, we're here. If you need us, just haul We're happy to come and pick up your materials and make sure they don't end up in the cells. Also, when they dispose of materials, they actually pay for uh, waste um, disposal fees. So we're actually saving them money by not uh, just clogging their bins with materials that are actually usable. Mm -hmm. And we'll take it and make sure they're used. And, you know, the people that work in those... um, companies they don't want to waste the stuff they don't want to dump it like they're they're, they're human beings that see the value but they don't have the capacity and sometimes even not even the decision making process to actually decide what to do with it so when we take the stuff and we give it life they're really really happy that we're able to do
0: that That's incredible. That's really awesome. For those of the people who are listening who really don't understand the term pre-consumer textile waste, they've only heard about post-consumer textile waste. I feel like there's a lot of talk about, you know, uh, secondhand sustainability and uh, vintage and all those kind of things, but not a lot of focus is um, put on what happens before it's come into clothes. If you could kind of, in your own way, um, give a Broad definition of what pre consumer textile waste is for those who don't understand what it is.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to do so. So, think about it this way um, so, every product has a life cycle, every human has a life cycle, everything we have has a life cycle. So, we make it, we use it, we dispose of it, or it gets recycled into something else. That's just part of how we do things. Um, and. With textile waste specifically, often when I talk about textile waste or even when people refer to textile waste, they often refer to clothing. But if you think about the usage stays, clothing is what's considered to be post-consumer waste mm-hmm. because um, it means that consumer has already used it mm-hmm. and it's already been through the cycle, so that's why it's post-consumer. Whereas the materials we collect, it's considered to be pre-consumer textile waste because it's all the textiles and materials that are being used, maybe in the production process, but it's before it reaches the consumer. So that's kind of like the definition point. And so most of the textile waste out there, it's actually post-consumer textile waste. Yeah. Because people have a lot of clothes. Yes. And um, pre-consumer textile waste, which is where we're at, the fabricals, things like that, it's actually... A lot smaller compared to the clothing out there, the waste. However, because the industry is so big, it's such a big industry, uh, 15% wastage, you know, from when you cut fabric and you have like leftovers left. So 15% out of it It might not sound like a lot, but when you talk about such a big industry, we're talking about enormous numbers and we're talking about
0: enormous environmental impact, enormous carbon emissions, enormous just like materials that are wasted. And even here, like you can only see this part right but there is fabric over there there's fabric in the back there's fabric everywhere and that's that we still as pre-consumer textile waste don't even cover the surface of what happens after post so it really I think that's why it's so important to bring up this topic because there's still waste being happened at every stage and that's why I think it's so important Another question I wanted to ask you was, um, right now in Vancouver, I wanted to ask if you see there's an issue with recycling or like uh, repurposing facilities, like if there's a shortage, like for me, I've noticed a lot of uh, sorting facilities where they'll go through post-consumer clothing and they'll sort it, give it to second-hand shops, and then um, the rest of it, they usually ship it overseas. But I don't really see, or maybe it's just my ignorance, I don't really see a lot of um, pre-consumer textile waste sorting facilities that focus on um, sorting fabric like you do and then actually getting it recycled into new materials. Because I know that only half like, or less than 1% of clothing actually is recycled into new materials, and yet there's so much greenwashing going on with that. What do you think of that? Do you think that's a problem locally? Yeah, uh, so everything you just said has multiple layers yes. of depth.
1: Um, and um, I'll try to address some, some of the things at least, because it's a very... It's a very complex system because it's a very old system and also it's a very large system. So we're talking about a lot of different stakeholders, a lot of different people that are part of it, and uh, a lot of also inefficiencies or things are not like connected. Mm-hmm. So I'll start first with, with maybe just a traditional uh, industry, uh, with clothing, how it's usually being treated, how it's usually being processed, just so you kind of get an idea of like how things have been going before and so far. So. When, when people want to donate their clothes, they would give it to either a, uh, like a thrift store mm-hmm. or they would put it in a donation bin and so on. And so in the lower mainland, we have six sorters and graders that operate those different donation bins and just collect everything that has been donated to clothing. When they uh, come in and take those donation bins, they take it to a large sorting facility Mm -hmm. where they separate those materials, those clothing, by quality, by category, by just different like grades and things like that. Mm -hmm. And their mission, they're usually for-profit businesses, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a for-profit business. Their mission is to um, get money for those materials. So they will try to sell it first. Um, so they will ship it overseas to whoever can buy those bales of clothing, by grade, by quality, yeah. by need, for example, things like that. Warmer climate or colder climate countries, they have different requirements, things like that. Um, so that that goes to the sorting facility. Often people think they just put it in the donation bin, and it's going to get recycled. It's not. It's not going to get recycled. It is likely going to get resold because yeah. that's the financial model behind uh, behind those donation bins. When something gets recycled, it's because there's a financial like bottom line to it. There's a reason yeah. for that. The problem with that is that most of the recycling activity is not done because the material that you produce once you recycle is such a low value that it's not financially logical or feasible to actually recycle. It's actually, you get more money for selling the item as it is versus to recycle it. Let's say, you know, you recycle beautiful fabric. It's not going to be fabric again. You have to break it down to a molecular level. Well, okay, so that's the second part. We'll talk about recycling now. Um, The second part for the recycling is that most people, when they think about recycling, they think that when you recycle something, it's going to become fabric again. Where the reality is that it's not. I don't have exact numbers, but I can say with very certain t- certainty that most, I would say like on the 90, probably 90, yeah. 99% yeah. probably, it's not going to get recycled or going to become another fabric. Mm-hmm. So uh, when people say recycling, it's probably going to be downcycled into something called shoddy, something that is, it's like a, it's like a fluffy material you use it for insulation, for stuffing, yeah. for underlay, for carpets, things like that. But think about it like this, you know, you you take like, I don't know, just, okay, like this fabric, for example, like we have here. Um, This is like some kind of a pretty organza. I don't know if you can see it on the camera. Once you recycle it and you break it down, this is not going to be organza anymore. It's gonna be like a a blob of like fluffy material. Mm -hmm. This costs a lot more than the fluffy material. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, um, most facilities will not recycle because there's no financial logic behind actually doing recycling. Also, there's so much waste out there that they can recycle their own waste and then sell what they have. They don't need to recycle it. That doesn't make sense. So, but that's downcycling. There's another option for recycling where it's more like a chemical recycling where mm-hmm. you uh, break down the materials and then you can recreate another fiber. Yeah. Um, so downcycling um, is one thing. Another is like fiber to fiber recycling you can do. So for example, it's done very often with polyester. Yeah. So um, you can break down uh, polyester materials um, into a specific like a chemical process then you can make new polyester and yarn again. The problem with that as well it's not you know it's not perfect because once you Recycle something; it actually de- degrades the quality of the recycled material, and so you still have to introduce a lot of virgin materials to make something recyclable. Yeah. So you can do fiber-to-fiber recycling; you can do um, you can do other downcycling. Either way, the system is not efficient, and the material and the end product you get with the recycled material can really hard to compete with a new virgin material. As such, we don't have the economic systems to support that. Like you try to sell something that is lower quality, even though it's recycled. Who's going to buy that? That's a problem, yeah. right? You got we have the supply chains to actually uh, gonna buy this material. So there is a supply and demand there.
0: So that's why the systems are a bit more complex. Not a bit, there are quite a lot of complex. And it's so great to hear you explaining it because a lot of people don't understand that issue. And it's still an issue that I hope, you know, more innovation and more demand for it can make it more feasible. Um, Because another thing is, like, the price, let's just say to staff the people that will be able to, you know, really break down that fiber into new fiber, that in itself, like, you need scientist-level, you know, employees you need facilities, you need labs, and that's like a very big financial endeavour. And that's why I think it's so important for people to understand that it's not like the way that it's advertised. You can't just like, oh, it's made from recycled fibre, boom. No, there's like a very complex system and it's important that you're explaining it so well because people really need to understand that like, if it's probably if it's saying it's recycled, they would if they actually recycled it, they probably give a very extensive breakdown on their website of how they did that because it takes a lot of work. And when you actually do the work, you really want to share the work that you did because you did it the right way, right? Another question I wanted to ask you: um, the thing that we're talking about a lot is there's just so much waste, both from pre-consumer and post-consumer, and it's getting out of hand. Um, in your own opinion, is there some Way that you think that we could improve the waste reduction before um, it becomes pre consumer waste, like from a fabric level, a brand's level, if there's any like innovations or little tips and design processes that you think they could maybe design their products in a more circular way so it doesn't become such a big issue. So from a designer perspective you talk your you mean Yeah, from or, a designer perspective sure, yeah. or from a fabric perspective, whichever one you feel that
1: you're more like a fabric mill or mm-hmm. okay. Um, well I think the most important thing is just awareness and, and, and the 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 desire to learn more about the process itself. Um, the process of you know becoming aware that you actually have tech waste and how much of it is not like a it's not just like a quick process it's a journey that every brand and every person that is part of it is taking and it takes a long time to kind of actually first it's like actually accept you do have tech cell waste and then also uh, there's sometimes like almost like a grief that you're you know you're really trying to like find options what to do with it but there's no options yeah. and then there's like almost like a grief period where are like okay oh my god what am I gonna do with this I'm So am I so want to but I, there's not <laughs> Thing. what am I gonna do yeah um, and so I think um, I think first it's I think it's really important that um, people take their own time to really uh, map out and outline their own processes within their own systems. Planning. So that's the first thing. I so I think one of the Planning. really good stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> so working so with uh, consultants like yourself, Chris, to really outline the process within their own systems. And it's not just the same systems. It's also the people that work part of it. The stakeholders, the internal and external. It's, um, it's you know things like outlining your sustainability efforts, not just with fabric, but also with like your packaging, uh,
0: your your marketing material. How do you talk about things? How do you measure things? How do you record things? And um, Sorry. And even when you do that, I find that a lot of brands think, oh my God, that's so much work. I don't know if I want to do that. And uh, one thing I've noticed is um, at the beginning, it, it is a lot of work because you need to get those processes and those systems in place. But once you actually do it, it can actually become more of a, an affordable thing for you. Like it actually can save you money because then you're actually wasting less, which means you're producing less, which means you're buying less, you know, so there's less effort and money and time put into it, so it actually can end up helping the business without even knowing it, right? Yeah, so that's the interesting thing, is that
1: once somebody kind of just... Dives into the process of mapping their own systems, uh, it's inevitable that you'll start looking, uh, finding things that uh, you can improve, not just with fab- fabrics or textile waste, but also other inefficiencies you have within your systems, so how you can improve. And uh, it's a commitment, absolutely, but everybody can take um, you know, their own pace and decide how they want to do it and how, how, how rigid or how deep and how long and so on. But I think um, it's a really important process because it's not just about textile waste, it's understanding your place within the system and who do you work with, how do you work with them, um, do you have you know, similar values? Do your customers have similar values? And so when you talk about creating cost-efficient uh, processes because of that, I agree. It's not just because of the tech ways, It's because you are looking intentionally at your own processes and you're finding inefficiencies to improve them. So it's not just about that. It's, like you're, it's more of a holistic approach to your business. Yeah. And of course,
0: you're going to save money because you're intentionally looking to make things better. Yeah, I find that super interesting because that's the part that people don't think about. They think, this is going to cost more it's going to be more work and it's like no it might for the first month or two I'm not going to lie like it does take some time to get used to new habits with anything not just business but once you have a good system in place and you've really identified some inefficiencies that are not working for you it could actually improve your your finances as well um, I actually want to move more towards like the personal side more about you and more about five cycle. Um, we talked a little bit about circularity and um, I wanted to ask you what does circularity or like circular design mean for you? So circularity is,
1: Slightly different, I think. Well, not slightly. That is different than circular design. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, circular design is like an element with it. Mm-hmm. Circularity is essentially it's a system. It's an economical system for um, for e- enabling different sustainability approaches within your systems. It's um, it's creating systems that uh, from under, understanding those systems. So it's an, it's outlining like where um, where your uh, stakeholders are, um, what. Is your uh, inflows and outflows of materials and also of other things like people, uh, resources, and so on. And it's understanding what you can do with it because with circular economy, what's interesting is it creates opportunities for things that are a bit out of the box, like repair, reuse, reduce, uh, things like that. Before you even talk about recycling. Um, so I think that's um, yeah, that's a big part of it.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um, When I first was on a call with you, you showed me around the facilities and you were showing me how you're super efficient with the the way that you work. Um, I wanted to ask what operational or what aspects of your business have you found personally that you have found either is a, in a circular way or reducing waste and I'm asking Wilson because I saw how great it is and I really wanted to give you like a space to talk about the incredible things that you're doing not only with fabric but like just the way that this came oh, here the or table. like yeah sure. or, or the boxes like yeah, I'd yeah. love to hear about that sure yeah so yeah. Our mandate here is to
1: reuse everything we can, really give it life. So we try our best to reuse everything we can, not just fabric, but also, um, you know, if we need to source something for our work here, we'll first and foremost, we'll try to source it from the uh, for the reuse economy. So we'll try to, you know, um, take something that is waste and, and try not to use it in new. So, for example, I don't know if you can see on video. Yes. Actually I don't these know. If it's ones, yeah, like yeah. you see those tubes, how um, like those tubes that we have here, they're like really thick cardboard tubes oh, and these that we use to organize all our fabric rolls because it helps us um, kind of separate the rolls so if we have to pull something from the bottom it's we can manage it. <laughs> so those tubes, those big cardboard tubes, we actually got them from um, a local company, they're a really big company, and they make toilet paper, so they have these enormous machines that manufacture toilet paper, and they use those cardboards as, like, you know, the core, the center for the actual toilet paper rolls, so we got a chunk, then we cut them to our size, there's a lot of, like, toilet paper over, so now which is kind of funny, <laughs> um, but, yeah, now we use them, and they're absolutely phenomenal for organization, so we really try to think out of the box of, like, how can we utilize what's his waste to use what we have here, actually. Actually, most of the things we have here, it's all been sourced from local, locally, either like, I don't know, like factories that downsize or where whatever we can find. Like this table, you can't actually tell. see in the, in the bottom, but it's been Frankenstein. It has like wood, it has wheels, it has metal from different parts, like a cutting table has a, like a grid that is like on the wall. And then we use like, even with our packaging material, we try as, as much as possible to reuse existing materials. So we use a lot of um, just like, boxes so we have already a couple of sources like different local companies that have their own branding on it but for them it's garbage like they just you know put it for recycling and we take it from them like we already have like a little agreement to get boxes once every couple of weeks and we just use their boxes to if we have to ship or organize our stuff Um, And who who cares what branding is on it? Like, our whole thing is about reuse. Like, we want to reuse what exists. We don't need to buy new cardboard boxes. Those perfectly well boxes with some branding on it. Same thing with everything we have here. Everything here is really like, I don't know if you can see right now, but if we have like sewing um, machines, we have super random stuff, like different like parts and pieces of like furniture that we kind of made them
0: work for us because it's great for organization. But I think it's great either way because um, like you said, you you really are acting on your values in the way that you operate as well. It's not just like, you know, the values and how you sell your product and how you operate as a business, but you can physically see this when you come into your space, and I think that's really awesome. Um, I wanted to ask... So before we continue, I just yeah. want to clarify something.
1: We are by far not 100% waste-free, yeah. and we try our best um, to use as many sustainable materials every use as we can, but we're not 100% waste-free, and we try for that, but it's really, really difficult. Like, we don't work and live in silos. You know, we're part of other systems, and as much as we want to, we try our best. Yeah. so I just wanted to clarify that, that we try our best, but it's, you know, there's always room for, for improvement. And that's the kind of mindset we, we kind of work with is like, how can we improve? And we actually have meetings every week about that, like, how can we improve different things if we do? So
0: that's a big part of it. So I just and wanted to clarify that. Yeah. And that. I thank you so much for doing that because a lot of the time brands or companies will toot their own horn and not talk about like the fact that they're not hundred percent. And I think that's so important because like, like you said, we don't operate in silos we are interconnected and there's no way right now like i mentioned in a previous episode that there's no way that we can be 100 percent sustainable in everything that we do like right now because you know there needs to be moving parts to make that happen so i really appreciate you mentioning that um it really helps with like the transparency of your brand um, So I want to go back in time a little bit and ask uh, what made you start FabCycle, what drives you? Because I see so much passion and so much drive in what you do and I kind of wanted to know what was the click or the progressive movement that made you get to that point that's like this is what I'm going to do.
1: Sure, um, so that wasn't easy and that wasn't like overnight, um, but, um, <clears throat> well, I it started, um, I guess, when I um, I started, I did a program with Groundswell Education Society, they're a social entrepreneurship business school, and a funny thing is they're just right now across the hall from us, it, oh, it's totally so random, cool. it was not planned, like, whatsoever, <laughs> but, you know, Karma, who knows? The know. universe heard us, yeah. we're here. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, they're just across the hall from us now, but I did a program with. Um, back in 2000 oh my god what 13 14 14, something like that and um, and at the time before that I was just working like more like a corporate kind of environment in specialty retail and uh, and when I did the the program I was just like I want to become self-employed I want to have a business I just don't know what it is so the program really changed my life and it introduced me to um, it kind of it gave me space to really dig deeper into what is important to me and, you know, what is interesting to me and where I want to be. And so out of all those things, I kind of realized that I really love working with creative people. It just really energizes me. And I love beautiful, like, spaces, beautiful things. Just, like, something, like, that is, like, very... Tangible, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, I textile like it makes sense I have like no background in textile or like whatsoever nothing so I started digging into like what does it mean to have like a social enterprise within something related to textile and apparel and I landed on post-consumer textile waste clothing and like and repairing stuff like that because that's the biggest one yeah and so, because of uh, Grantsville, I actually created a nonprofit called Framework Education Society. Oh yes, um, which is um, it's a nonprofit, and our mandate is to uh, bring back repair skills to life and, and empower communities. But essentially, what it is, it's a it's a grassroots organization that, uh, and we create a, a space for people to come in together and learn how to repair their own clothes. Just have that like ability and that uh, empowerment of just like I, you you can sew your own button. It's not scary. It's not threatening, and we we'll you this accessible and very welcoming place to come and learn yourself so Definitely. we won't do it for them we will not repair anything for them because we actually encourage people to go and, and pay business. no to go and pay alteration businesses oh, Okay, yeah. if they don't want to do it themselves but if they want to do it themselves we will teach them for free we'll give them the tools and the experience to do that so that's framework um, and then uh, but that's specifically for post consumer and that's specifically that experience of running framework kind of enabled me to learn deep. And deeper into like the systems of like how, like how, textile always flows where the opportunities and so repair was really a big part of it and reuse because that was really like that's a big part that it's a mindset shift that is really important to do on like, even a grassroots level because it has a ripple effect. Yeah, um, and so that's why I focus on that. But then. Um, and then I realized also there's other things out there and so I, I the more I learn about the system but the more I realize I think there's more opportunities and so I learned more about the pre-consumer textile waste and then I started I had an idea and I started looking at things and um, and then in 2017 I started uh, fab cycle so I did a lot of like research like internally and also like did a lot of like, testing and things like that with some already like you know now customers that I have yeah. but in uh, 2017 uh, launched FabCycle, and uh, and then in 2019, we opened our textile-based review center.
0: That is incredible. I love your story and how it happened. I really think it's inspiring, and it gives people um, something to think about as well for themselves. Um, so I'm going to close it out here, but before we go, is there anything that you would like uh, the people listening to do? Uh, how can they support your business? How can they support FabCycle? and what can they do to support you? Uh, Sure, yeah, uh, absolutely. So if you are a maker, uh, if you sew, if you
1: craft, uh, please go to our website, check out our especially free scrap section. We give away scraps for free. So if you want to just experiment with textures and fibers, that's a really great place place to get stuff for free. Um, Or uh, if you're making stuff, we have highly reduced prices on the website with some discount codes and things like that. Um, and if you are also a maker that has a lot of stuff, uh, and you are wanting to downsize, please give us a call or email us. Uh, we have some ideas for you how to do that. Uh, so nothing ends up in the left film. So, yeah.
0: That's awesome. Okay. So I will leave all, um, Fab Cycles information in the show notes or in the description. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. This was, has been an incredible experience and I'm sure a lot of people are going to learn so much from this. So thank Thank you so much. And with that, I will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.